Critical Care Practitioner Podcast number 31. Welcome to another episode of Critical Care Practitioner Podcast. My name is Jonathan Downham and this is the podcast to inform, debate and discuss all things critical care, wherever in your hospital that might be. Get ready. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Critical Care Practitioner Podcast. It's nice to be able to speak to you once more, episode number 31, and on we go. Heading towards episode 50, it's coming, it's not going to be too far away, really exciting. When I started at episode 1, I never thought I'd be starting to talk about episode 50, but we're not there yet, we've some way to go yet. I hope you're well, I hope your working life is as interesting as mine. I'm starting to pick up the pace a little bit now in my new role in the accident and emergency department. Um, I'm starting to find my feet a little I think still got an enormous amount to learn and that don't think will ever change but finding my feet a little I think still very very busy and still enjoying it which is fabulous what are we going to talk about today well we are going to talk with a gentleman called Martin Percy who is the director of something called the Lifesaver app Uh, If you go to life-saver.org.uk, you will find it there. It's something that he's made along with the Resuscitation Council, um, and it's known as an interactive film by Martin Percy, produced along with a company called Unit 9. It will teach anybody and everybody how to do basic life support and also utilises automated um, external defibrillators. It's just fabulous. It blew my mind. Um, I won't tell you any more because let's go and talk to Martin and Robin Davis, who kindly joins us as well. I'm here this evening with uh, one colleague I do know and another gentleman I don't know so well. So you, if you've listened to the podcast before, you've been introduced to Robin Davis, who's the senior resource officer at the trust I work at. And we had a conversation all way back in podcast number two, I think it was now, which is probably over a year ago. Robin is obviously very expert and enthusiastic is what we decided he was. He's an official geek in this (laughs) specialised subject or activity in resource. And I was, just as an introduction as to how this interview came about, and uh, I will introduce another guest to you in a moment, but as I was, I decided I was going to go and teach some 11-year-olds at my boys' local grammar school how to do basic life support. And whilst raiding Robin's uh, equipment cupboard of all the equipment I might need, he said, of course, you're going to show them the Lifesaver app, aren't you? To which my face went blank, and I said, oh, what's that then? And he very kindly showed me the Lifesaver app. And I was absolutely blown away by it. I think it's probably one of the best things I've seen as far as virtual media and educating people in what is a a vital um, skill goes. It was was absolutely brilliant, but we can talk more about that in a moment. But the the reason for that story is that then I said to Robin, uh, he told me that he was part of the production of the Lifesaver app. 
um, this wonderful film that you can go to and just I will say it several times but the website address is life-saver.org.uk and I've been pushing it really quite strongly recently because I think it's just a, a fantastic uh, resource for people to access but basically I said oh you were part of the making and then I was describing it and who was making it and the gentleman called Martin Percy's name was mentioned at that point and Martin is consequently the other guest because Martin well, please correct please correct me if I'm wrong but you were the director of this film is that right that's right yes exactly right Okay, so um, Martin, very kindly, I, I did what I normally do, and once I have an idea, I just sent out a couple of tweets and a couple of emails, and between myself and Robin, we persuaded uh, Martin to come and talk to us. So Martin, please just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we can chat more about the, the resource that we're here to talk about. Sure. So, um, hello everyone, my name is Martin Percy, uh, I direct videos with interactivity in the video. Uh, Lifesaver is one example which um, I in, started off in 2004 when I did a CPR course uh, and got talking to the paramedic who was taking the course um, and he started talking about how we could make training better and that's really where the Lifesaver project started off from. But um, apart from that I do interactive videos about a range of other things ranging from temples in Bali to uh, um, uh, pieces for Take Modern about art um, but Lifesaver is probably um, my favorite project of all of them. You say you were chatting to a paramedic can you remember who this paramedic was because I might have to go and twist his arm as well to come and talk to us. It was so long ago I and mean, we're, we're talking um, 2004 now um, but it was uh, I used to live opposite the, um, the headquarters of the London Ambulance Service in Waterloo so, you know, obviously my street was kind of permanently jammed by ambulances and they had a come on everyone learn um, CPR campaign. So I dutifully, you know, as a good neighbor sort of went along to that. Um, and so we started talking. Um, but that experience um, and talking to this paramedic um, and talking to other paramedics and sort of researching the subject generally, that experience was extremely useful. That what he said, and this, as I say, this has been kind of reflected elsewhere since, is that, I mean, obviously, traditional CPR training is excellent in all sorts of ways um, and has saved countless lives. And, you know, I'm not for a moment saying that Lifesaver is in any sense intended as a replacement for it. But as I think lots of paramedics, you know, will be the first to say, it's got some inevitable um, limitations, which come from the fact that, you know, it's a physical thing, which is great in also, but, you know, you've got a physical person with a physical plastic dummy, and you can't do more than about 10 people or so per plastic dummy at one time. I mean, you know, Robin and Jonathan jump in and correct me at any stage here. That means that inevitably it's going to be quite expensive to do that training. Um, and it's going to be a little bit difficult to get people, you know, to see the training and so on. So that's one thing that kind of you can get around with with kind of media. Um, but then there's a whole other dimension which I find very interesting, which is the, the the whole question of realism. And this is something that I've heard from a lot of paramedics that if you are in a situation where you're trying to save the life of someone who's had a heart attack or choking, as a as a as a civilian, as you know, as a, as a non-professional, it will quite possibly be the most terrifying moment of your life. You know, mm -hmm. you've got this person, you've you've got minutes, and you don't have the reassurance of knowing that you're, you know, a trained professional in a 
in a sort of paramedics uniform. You're just some guy who sort of is trying to sort of have a go. And it's absolutely petrifying. Again, one of the limitations of traditional CPR training is that there's no screaming, there's no shouting. Uh, you know, it's generally very pleasant and reassuring. You have a nice cup of tea and some biscuits and all that sort of thing, which is lovely. Possibly the thing about Lifesaver that people appreciate the most is that it puts back that terror, you know, that it's chaotic, there's people screaming at you that you're doing it wrong, um, you just sort of stop and wait for the ambulance people to come along. Um, so we try and inject that sort of note of realism um, to, to sort of make it more sort of vivid and more emotional. Um, and I think that's something that people really respond to well. So just to go back to your initial conversation you had with the paramedic on the CPR course, yep. I just I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you in particular, well, there's, there's, there's two main reasons. One is um, I'm probably a, a little bit like most Joe Public out there. We're absolutely fascinated by anyone who holds a camera and works in the, the profession you do because obviously there's glamour and lights and all the rest of it. I'm sure probably huh. you've got a different huh. view on that. <laughs> uh, but, the, but a behind-the-scenes view is, is going to be intriguing but the other the other reason as, as well is just to find out uh, what process you actually went through to make this happen because that I, I think this this realism that you've interjected like you uh, just inferred to um, is something that potentially could be used in a lot of other things that may not necessarily involve the general public but could involve other people in the NHS in learning some of the skills that they need. So what was the process you had to go through to actually make this happen? Were you the driving force behind it or were you involved with a team of other people to make it happen? Yeah, well, so that's 2004. Um, cut to 2011 and by that stage I'd managed to raise half the money. You know, only seven years later we'd managed to get 50% of the budget. By that stage, um, you know, almost a decade later, uh, I joined a company called Unit 9 and we'd put in an application to the government to the Technology Strategy Board. And they had a fund for um, companies that were based in the sort of the old street tech city area. Um, and they just wanted sort of generic good ideas. And they thought this sounded like quite a good idea, sort of. I mean, they weren't really that fast, quite honestly. They just wanted sort of interesting concepts but they only give you 50% of the money but we thought you know well no problem we've got 50% of the budget raised you know all we have to do is to get the other 50% and it's like to save lives you know who is not going to want to fund that right so we went to all the people that you would think of um, that might be interested in such a project and you know we had some great meetings and then they came back with their feedback which was no um, and then we went back to sort of you know another and you know the other big the other big organisation you'll think of thinking of and they came back with their feedback which was no so finally you know we started sort of panicking a bit because we had a time limit from the government you see we had to get the the, the other fifty percent in twelve months and um, so we found out about this organization called the Resuscitation Council UK and I thought you know so I I sent them off an email to some gentleman called Dr. Jez Saw and thought, you know, I'm never going to hear back from this person, you know, cold calling email asking for money, you know, um, for some sort of interactive video thing, you know, I'm never going to get a reply, but you know, at least I've done it, right? So I sent off the it's email. Just, and, sorry and, to interrupt, Martin, it's yeah. pretty close to the wire, wasn't it? Exactly, and this is, a, and so then, um, this is about three weeks before the deadline, um, <laughs> and then um, 
we get a reply, you know, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and then finally, two days before the deadline, um, the resuscitation council came on board with the other 50% that we needed, um, and Lifesaver, um, you know, went ahead. But if um, Dr. Jez saw Dr. Andy Lockie and Sarah Mitchell um, of the Resuscitation Council UK hadn't said yes, then Lifesaver would never have happened. You know, there was never any other prospect of getting funding. So I think, you know, Jonathan, you know, to come to your come back to your point is, you know, you need to find the right people. And it's surprisingly difficult to find them. Um, because, uh, you know, the people that you might have expected would, you know, think that this was a great project. You know, they said, well, hmm, okay, no thanks. Um, and, and moved on. But, you know, we, 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 we and, live and learn, so hopefully it'll get easier. How were you, uh, when you were pitching for this, what were you telling them that you were going to produce? How were you going about uh, reassuring them that what you were going to produce was going to be... Um, probably fairly forward-thinking for its time, certainly, and was going to deliver something that you think would make a difference. Well, clearly we did an extremely bad job because we totally failed to persuade them of that. So we put together a package, you know, there was a little sort of promo video and so on, and in retrospect, I mean, the thing that we said we were going to do was actually pretty similar to the thing that we really did do in the end. It's, it's difficult to persuade people to do things if they haven't seen them, but of course then what makes it even more surprising is since Lifesaver came out, you know, as far as we're concerned, Lifesaver is proof of concept. You know, that, as you said at the beginning, Lifesaver is an approach to teaching people what to do in time-limited crisis situations, mm. which where they're kind of complex real-world situations where there are a lot of moving parts. There may well be a lot of kind of emotional stress flying around. Uh, you know, and it's a way to show people what to do in that sort of situation, to, to train them so that when that situation happens for real, they can handle it better. So since Lifesaver was made, we've tried very hard to make more Lifesavers, and so far without success. But just to give you an idea, you know, we want to do, you know, I mean, you know, CPR and choking is obviously absolutely crucial, but we'd love to do a much expanded one dealing with kind of drowning burns, bleeding, what to do if you come across a car crash, this sort of thing. We'd love to do Lifesaver uh, for America, for Germany, you know, um, and so on. Uh, there are all sorts of applications um, that, you know, you could, you could take this idea and move on to, you know, showing, showing, showing people what to do in a crisis situation using the same basic approach. Now, there are a few projects that are sort of starting to happen, um, and hopefully, you know, we'll get there sort of reasonably soon. I think basically, you know, so far, even even though life, you know, lots of people love Lifesaver, to get to make another one, so far we haven't managed to do it. Okay. Uh, presumably, um, you've got access to um, how many people have actually viewed Lifesaver. Um, what's has that been as you've expected, or has that surpassed your expectations, or? I mean, actually, I don't, <laughs> because the uh, Resuscitation Council sort of looks after that sort of um, end of things. Uh, I think, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's done very well. We're very happy with the number of people that have viewed it. Um, I can't give you exact figures, uh, but they are certainly high. And, you know, as, you know certainly if you, if you search Twitter, for example, for the URL that you just handed out, um, you know, life-saver.org.uk, you will find thousands of tweets from all over the world from people, many of them paramedics and doctors, 
urging their friends to check it out, which is you know, absolutely fantastic, um, and obviously we're delighted by. I'd be interested, Robin, to find out, if you can, from the Resource Council, the kind of viewing figures that it's been getting. I don't suppose you've got those at your fingertips right I now. Don't, but I, don't, I don't have my fingertips, but it, I would imagine it would be fairly easy to find out, and I can let you have that detail. You would add it to the show notes, I guess, would you, Jonathan? Yeah, and it might be interesting to see how that's changed over time. I mean, how long has it been out? Uh, about two years now. Two yeah. years. I'd just be interested to see whether there's actually mem any momentum behind it because, you know, if it sat there for two years and had the same number of views each month for two years, then clearly there isn't any momentum. But I suspect that isn't the case, and I'd be really interested to see uh, whether there's beginnings of an exponential curve behind this that would then surely justify its use in many other ways. And one of the ways you're going to prove its efficacy and adequacy is by how many downloads, not downloads, but how many views it's getting. Sure, sure. I mean, I think I think that what's interesting to me is is the reception that it has almost universally had to everybody that I've shown it to, and 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 Jonathan said at the very beginning of this that this had it had a really big impact on him, um, and I am I am yet to show this to anybody that hasn't responded in that way, uh, and I think that's for a couple of reasons, and I, I just want to pick up on a couple of things that Martin said near the beginning. One, it's about having a go. And, and, you know, we know that having a go is crucial in, in, in terms of changing outcomes for patients who are having a cardiac arrest. The second thing that's, that's particularly powerful to me and, and something that I've never been able to replicate in any of the lower level simulation teaching stuff that I've done is the emotional response, which is phenomenal within Lifesaver. You know, and I've, I've, I've shown it to people and I, I've done Lifesaver. I've lost count the amount of times I've, that I've done it either through showing people or just having another go. And every single time, without fail, particularly on that first scenario, but with all of them, and I use the first scenario as an example, where the ambulance crew arrive and you get the feedback, this guy survived because of what you did, I still get the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Mm -hmm. you know, and I've done this for real hundreds and hundreds of times, and yet I still get that emotional response. And I'm yet to replicate that in any other teaching that I do. It's a phenomenal, and that's the kind of reason why it gets the response that you got, John, that I got from you, Jonathan, and I imagine everybody else that I've shown it to. Um, and I think part of the issue, um, perhaps, and I don't know this for sure, is when you explain it's an interactive film to people, they don't really get it. But, you know, it's a little bit Dungeons and Dragons, you know, this whole idea is, is you know, you do something and then the game does something else, and they don't really get it. And it's only when they're immersed in it, and that's that's the nub of it. It's getting people to click on the link to, to, to just follow the link and have a go at it and see how it makes them feel. Because once you cross that bridge, then people are generally hook, line, and sinker. They're incredibly impressed with it. And I certainly wanted to complete it. Having done the first scenario, I mean, I'm a healthcare professional who does CPR an awful lot, you know, unfortunately, but it's, it's part and parcel of my job. So it's not a new experience to me, but I actually wanted to complete it. Even then, I wanted to do all three scenarios. A, just to see what happened um, and experience for myself, but B, because it did grip me. And that's one of the things about it that I think is it's it's strongest quality is that the interactivity actually makes you feel like you're there. I know that's maybe a slightly trite way of putting it, but you do. You feel like you're part of this process. 
that you know you when you do the head tilt chin lift and then you do some of the compressions and the compression model I think is brilliant to be honest with you and Robin will be horrified I did find myself singing Nelly the Elephant at one point which yeah. I probably shouldn't confess to um, no. but it, it does Strike drag from you the record in. Mr. Burnham yes, this is live Jonathan remember yeah, they'll, they'll be writing it down yes. no, I'll, I'll edit it out of the podcast and no one will watch the YouTube all the time don't worry about it but no it, it is the, the interactivity and I wonder Robin as well how are the Resource Council promoting this because other than having spoken to you I wasn't aware of it before and you say it's been out for two years and I've never heard of it so the Resource Council are, are really just kind of finding their feet in the social media world and, and just recently taken on a communications officer and they have well but they've taken that step they've taken on a a, a, a fantastic communications officer who is all over Twitter and, and really beginning to push it forward. You know, there are links for the Resuscitation Council website. If, so if people are, are interested, they'll they'll find, you know, they, they, they come across it that way. And, of course, you've got the instructors and the members of the Resuscitation Council who know about it well. But, it, it, you know, I guess, like all of these things, it can it can be pushed out a little bit harder. One of the things I did want to ask Martin, which is uh, it's a little bit kind of film geeky thing okay maybe I'm, I really understand it but yeah no, I've talked to, as go Jonathan geeky, has great. go geeky that's great right. is was is about this emotional response and that's that's something that you I've heard you talk about this before and you said that was really really important how did you go about how did you know that you were going to achieve that how certain were you that you were going to create this because you know you can create a, a a scene with actors and you, you know you're going to hope that they're going to do a really good job how certain were you that you were going to create this emotional response that we've both described as being so powerful well I think the thing is that you know the actors in the piece were extremely talented um, and um, we we had we were you know very lucky with the people that we got they did you know an absolutely brilliant job one particular sort of stroke of luck we had, sort of in retrospect, that the was the the rescuer in film three uh, has since been cast in Star Wars as the daughter of Han Solo and Princess Leia. Um, so she's gone from you know from unknown to sort of um, sort of star in the making. It's sort of amazing. Sorry, go go back go back to that. Who what what role was she playing in there? So if you film three. The, yeah. which is where the gentleman has a heart attack in the, in in the, the underground car park, car park yes. one, yeah. the rescuer there is a very talented young woman called Daisy Ridley um, who since has been cast in Star Wars as the daughter of Han Solo and Princess Leia so she is the unknown British actress who you may have seen news reports about that she's been catapulted to you know near that's stardom. Just, that's, just, um, that's just awesome to say yeah, you had you were rescued by Han Solo's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and she didn't even know it. You know, um, so this is this is where Robin needs to say he, she went from lifesaver to lightsaber. You know, um, yeah, yeah, like that. that's that's going to be the podcast title. From lightsaber oh, to lightsaber. Do you know what? That might appear in a tweet or two over the coming days. <laughs> the actors did a phenomenal job, and that's absolutely fundamental to that to the emotional response that you get from lifesaver. Because one of the things, of course, is that what you know you gentlemen do um, and your colleagues is you know, incredibly important, incredibly difficult, and also very, very dramatic. You know, the essence of drama. 
And yet I think one of the interesting things that you get with a lot of first aid training is this desire to make it very calm and take all of that out, precisely because it is such a traumatic um, experience in real life that you know we want to you know make it very very straightforward and calm and let's not get upset about it. Which and I certainly see the logic of that. But in many ways, with lifesaver, all we did was like you know just let the genie out of the bottle. Um, that you've got these th these three phenomenal situations where normal people are being placed into this literally life or death kind of scenario, and that's why people respond to it so so so. Um, so powerfully because you know you've got good actors and you've got an incredibly important dramatic situation and you just slam those two things together and you get something like Lifesaver as a result. Can I ask Martin, you may not want to answer this question, it's fine if you don't, but how much funding did you actually have to raise for this? Uh, so the budget was 198k um, and that's 50% from the UK government's technology strategy board uh, and 50% from the Resuscitation Council UK. And the filming, um, not the filming, but I'm sure the filming plays a big part of it, but certainly not all of it. How long does it start from uh, somebody pressing that green button to you actually having the finished article? It's It was about four or five months, something like that, um, from, right. the, from the Resuscitation Council finally giving the go-ahead through to launch of the web version um, and then the... Uh, version for iPhone, um, iPad, and Android phone and tablet came a little later. And once um, once the Resource Council got involved, how much input did they actually have in what went into it? Oh well, phenomenal. I mean, it's you know the whole project belongs to the Resuscitation Council. They were you know the best possible partners, and and yeah have just been incredibly supportive all the way. The I mean the script is for all the three scenarios is very very precisely based on the resuscitation council's official guidelines for resuscitation with or without an AED um, and for what to do if someone is choking so the actions that are followed are exactly what is stated in those guidelines what people say is of course completely different and was basically ad-libbed almost entirely. You know, the actors were given a situation um, and then they just ad-libbed like crazy. So, you know, most of the actual words which are said in Lifesaver, I had never heard before, you know, the that particular take. And the other takes, they say different things. And that's one reason why it seems so fresh. But the actual actions that happen that's a completely different matter. Those are precisely um, based on the Resuscitation Council's guidelines. The Resuscitation Council obviously had to sort of check and approve what um, the final product and were absolutely fantastic at that stage as well. So Robin, what was your role? Tell me, because I know you I know you so were there in some capacity, but I, you weren't presumably just eating donuts and serving coffee, were you? I wasn't a runner, no. Um, although I quite like the idea of that. No, so I was um, lucky enough to get a call via the Resource Council to, to, to come and help out on one of the days of filming and, and, and I was lucky enough, if you want to put it like that, to spend a cold, I think, November day in a South London underpass where the original, uh, where the first uh, uh, film was, was made. The kind of the job I was given was is keep an eye on what's done clinically and if there's any glaring errors then, you know, 
you're there to point them in the right direction and make sure that what's because you know if everything that Martin and the crew ended up filming wasn't quite right he'd have had to gone back to the drawing board and and so we had to have people on scene to say you know you, you're off there that doesn't look quite right from where I'm standing um, but what I found interesting with that with the project actually is is that it, occasionally I said to Martin that doesn't look quite right from where I am um, and then he'd say when you look at it through the camera it looks completely different I found that really interesting that might have been Martin's polite way of telling me no no you don't know what you're talking about but genuinely I think that the camera changes the way I get the feeling that the camera changes the way things look and actually you know depending on where the guy who's holding the camera and I can't remember his name forgive me you know was standing and the angle he was taking looked absolutely fine in the, in the actual film itself obviously it looked absolutely perfect so I got to spend a cold November day um, saying don't push quite there that doesn't look quite right or that's absolutely perfect or, or whatever so um, but fascinating to watch Martin and his team work I, I don't remember you saying that's absolutely perfect ever I remember <laughs> you know what do you call that call it like monkeys to CPR <laughs> you know that's never, sort of, you know, yeah, as as Robin says, uh, it was very important that we got things right wherever we were showing things on camera. But obviously, one of the things that is very confusing on a film shoot is that uh, we're only shooting very particular things, and the talent got quite exhausted uh, fairly soon. So we had to sort of concentrate on you know, okay, when we're doing close-ups of the hands, then the hands will be perfect. But right now, we're just doing something else, so we don't need to worry about that too much. Uh, it's possibly interesting to talk a little bit about how we did the CPR and how we made the CPR look realistic, because if you look at most CPR on television, it's startling how unrealistic it looks compared with Lifesaver. Yeah. Uh, because you will see push, push, push on this on this guy's chest, and the guy who is the patient is hardly moving. And you think, well, that doesn't really look like CPR. So what we did was, to start with, we went on to YouTube and found all the CPR footage we could of real CPR in action. There are actually surprisingly few YouTube videos of CPR in action. But with all of them, what they are is something which you're both very familiar with, where, you know, obviously a, a human being's torso is a bag of liquid, right? I mean, there are other bits in there, but it's basically a bag of liquid. So if you push down very hard at one one end, the other end is going to bulge up. And so, as you know, if you're doing real CPR on someone, you get this kind of belly bulge effect as you press down on the chest. It's one of the things that I commented on to Robin when I mm. saw it. I remember saying it. So, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. So, so the, reason, the way we got that was through the audition process, that we sent YouTube videos out to all the casting agencies that we were dealing with and said, we need a victim who can do this belly bulge. And so the casting then was quite unusual. The <laughs> actor would turn up, we'd say, yeah, welcome, sir. You know, lie down on the little mat, off you go. And the guy would just lie there and do his belly bulge thing. Thank you very much, sir. You know, next, please. Um, and so we had about 35 people came in and did their belly bulge until we found uh, Henry Gilbert, who plays Jake, and Steve Weston, who plays Peter, who had just phenomenal abilities at doing this kind of contortionist belly bulge. Um, you know, with the most remarkable, you know, control of their physiques. You know, I, I have no idea how they do it. It was great. Anyway, so they were cast as the victims for film one and three, and then the rescuers were cast to sort of go with them. Um, and so all the CPR scenes are completely led by the victim. 
So the victim would start, and then the rescuer would go down, just lightly resting her arms on the victim's chest, because of course you can easily, indeed and some people would say you're supposed to break ribs, you're certainly not supposed to worry about breaking ribs, and that, but that of course is not an option in our case. Um, and, but so anyway, that's how the Lifesaver CPR sequences came to look so realistic. It's because of the amazing belly bulge abilities of the victims. Absolutely fascinating. I've just got this image now of all these actors putting that on their CV that they can do this belly bulge. And I'm, I'm just wondering what, what, what future career he's got ahead of him where he can use that to... to well, I, you else. know, I just, I just hope that the guys, uh, you know, on the TV shows are taking, are listening to this podcast and have noted down next time they need a CPR victim, you know, Steve West and Henry Gilbert, those are the guys to call. Absolutely. The problem. The problem is, I'm. Um, I'm afraid they don't really go for the realism, do they? Because their success rate is also ridiculously high compared to the national average. So, I'm afraid so. Yeah. I, I don't think it would worry them too much. Right. Just to carry on, Martin. I hope you don't mind if I take a little bit more of your time because. Yeah, of I was also very interested in the um, TEDx talk that you did because um, I'm actually in the process of trying to get a presentation together for a conference that um, I'm presenting at in a couple of weeks. Yep. And I, I kind of want to pick your brains a little bit about this because you, from your presentation that I watched, you, I, I suspect you very much uh, took the TED way of presenting to heart because the first 15 seconds of, uh, are of you very bravely collapsing on the stage in front of you. <laughs> That's um, why I was cast, you know. They, they, yeah. they just wanted someone who could collapse. And I yeah, well, you, job, you, yes. you did it very well. There was yeah, kind yeah. of a hushed silence around the auditorium for a moment. I think several people were wondering whether they should get involved or not, but then gladly you stood up. But you obviously went through those principles in mind because there was a story element to it as well, and one of the things I'm learning about presenting now is that storytelling is quite important. Is that something that was very close to your heart with that presentation? Well, I think the thing is with the TEDx presentations, they get you to practice so many times that, and they are so critical <laughs> that um, uh, it ends up being, you know, it ends up refining the project a lot. Uh, the the TEDx people sent me this, these guidelines and one of the things that came out of that was about an hour's practice for every minute of talk yeah um, and that is how much practice you end up doing and so by the end of that you know you've, you've done that talk a lot uh, but it was you know it was obviously they are the you know the shining example of um, how to do great talks on all sorts of obscure subjects um, and have just you know transformed people's perception of all sorts of difficult subjects. So in that case, I just took the attitude: well, I have my opinions about how to do a talk, but these people really know what they you know what they're doing. So I just and did you find me. that critical process that you went through um, helped you um, yes, very much produce so. a better very presentation? So. Is it something you've taken forward to future presentations? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, apart from anything, because you know, I know that talk sort of off by heart now, having spent 18 hours practicing it, um, I can do it pretty much standing on my head. Uh, but also, yeah, they they have obviously they they just know everything there is about um, how to do a good talk. So I just followed their principles. 
And uh, one of the things I'm struggling with, and again, I'm, I'm being a bit cheeky here and using you as an opportunity to pick your brains a little bit. Your 16 mm -hmm. minutes and 27 seconds of talk presumably comprised a certain number of words. Did you actually learn the script verbatim, or did you just learn um, keywords that then helped you go on and talk about some, another element of your discussion? No, I mean, in my case, I learnt what I was going to talk about in a lot of detail, but I, I would suggest that if you start getting to a level where you're reading these things out verbatim, you will very quickly get a sense of sort of dull monotony sort of moving in. Um, you need to be improvising to some extent, otherwise it doesn't have that freshness that, that is necessary. Right, so you were very much um, kind of headlines in your head, and I'm going to talk about this next, and then another headline, and talk about. Okay, that's exactly. that's interesting to know. Robin, have you got anything else you want to add to this conversation? Because uh, Peter's managed to make me smile. Sorry, Martin's managed to make me smile. So uh... you know, I, I get a feeling we could perhaps come into near to to the end. And again, I want to come back to some of the stuff that Martin was saying right at the very beginning, and 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 talk about the reach, the potentially that Lifesaver has got. Um, and you know, headline figures at the very end. I guess you know that we we are still experiencing up and down the country over thirty thousand cardiac arrests a year outside a hospital, and the only way that anybody survives this is with bystander CPR and the use of an automatic external defibrillator. The places that do have really good survival rates for out hospital cardiac arrests do so because of early early CPR and early defibrillation, and if lifesaver. Uh, triggers uh, people to have a go, and I think those are the words that um, that Martin used right at the very beginning. Then that's that's going to make a difference. That's going to save lives. And if people can make it to hospital and and then make it to walk out of hospital and go back to their families and their friends, then you know all the work that Martin's put in and all the work that everybody's done to try and promote this has been absolutely worth it. It's about having a go and and reaching as many people as possible so that they have a go and and, and make a difference to people's lives. Smack US Chicago June 23rd to 26th 2015 Nixon Flower Weingart May Rohi Malimat Levitan Reed Carly Rogers Got the date? June 23rd to 26th 2015 Smack US Chicago. Book it now. There we are. I really enjoyed making that particular episode. It was a fascinating conversation with somebody who's outside of our profession for a change. Lots of interesting things to talk about. And like we said in the discussion, I think that is something for the future. Go and look at it. It's called Lifesaver. Um, and it's at life-saver.org.uk. I think you'll enjoy it. It does grab you, even if you're an expert in BLS, ALS, etc., etc. It's something I'm trying to promote a lot wherever I go. Um, I think it's well worthwhile. It comes as an app on uh, the iPad as well, and you can use it that way. So go out there and promote it. It's It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. So let's talk about some of the stuff in FOMED this this last couple of weeks. One of the big ones is the results of the Promise trial are out, which kind of agree with the ones that have gone before it. And rather than redo what everyone else has been doing, I'm just going to point you in the direction of one of my colleagues, Simon Lang, who produces the Heft EMcast podcast. 
which uh, I've linked to in the show notes and you can find in iTunes as well. And he summarized it nicely. And I also wanted to quote Steve Matthew um, on the bottom line, which again, I've linked to in the show notes. And he kind of speculates that perhaps we shouldn't completely dismiss the uh, term early goal-directed therapy. After all, usual care does consist of early intervention and goal-directed therapy. So perhaps we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater completely. And maybe uh, we just need to keep thinking about how we're going to treat these patients. One of the other things I've highlighted from FOMED is the guys over at FOMCAST have released a podcast that tries to explain some of the confusing research terms that we often encounter. And if you're like me, any research term can become confusing. This is a good episode and I'm hoping that they're going to add more in the future. And then finally from FOMED, something that kept catching my eye was a lovely PDF document that was being tweeted initially by a gentleman called Pietro Isotti, who is a nursing student in Italy, and you can find him at Pietro Isotti on Twitter. But he tweeted a nice PDF of the range and sensitivities uh, of antibiotics used. It's a nice picture, just a, a useful reminder of what you use to treat which particular bug, which I always find very helpful. Over the last couple of weeks, I was also fortunate enough to go to the Emergency Medicine Educators Conference in Coventry, which was very, very interesting. Uh, Simon Carley was there, Natalie May was there, a few big speakers, but one gentleman I did meet was called Ross Fisher. Now, for those of you that don't know Ross Fisher, he presented to us about how to present, which was fascinating. Um, He has a blog site called presentationskills.blogspot.com.au. Bit of a mouthful, but the title of that blogspot is basically P3 Presentations. And when you go there, that will become clear why why it's called P3 Presentations. Very lucky, though, that Ross has agreed to talk to me uh, on my podcast in the future. So I'm looking forward to doing that. So keep an eye on Twitter. As soon as we uh, decide on a title, then I'm going to start tweeting that as well. And I think that'll be a really interesting one. He advocates very much the TED style of presenting, which I'm trying to also promote and trying to uh, live by those rules myself as well. So that's one to look forward to. I think I've probably got something exciting to tell you about December as well, well, exciting from my point of view as well, but I can't necessarily say too much about it at the minute, but hopefully I'll have some news about what I'm doing in December, so um, keep an ear out for that as well. I hope you're well. I'm glad you've listened to this episode and I hope you've enjoyed it. We've got more to come. There's more interviews in the pipeline and there's more that have been done that are just waiting to be released out there. So thanks again to Robin and Martin for talking to me in this interesting podcast. little clip of a song here is especially for Robin. He was telling me how much he enjoyed this on the last episode, so I thought I'd play him another clip. It's nice to speak to you again. Thank you for putting me in your ears. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.